This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. I am your host, Art Wiederman. Welcome to my podcast, and I am proud to say that as of... uh, Two days ago, because we're recording this podcast on uh, Monday, December 5th, and it will be published on Wednesday, December 14th, to give you some ideas about our topic today, which is very timely. I am celebrating my fourth anniversary of doing this podcast. The first one I did was with my dear friend, Alan Schiff, who's the president of our Academy of Dental CPAs uh in baltimore maryland on december the 3rd of 2018 we are now i think at about 165 publications and thousands of people that listen every month and thank you thank you so so much for your trust and faith with uh in me and the information that we're providing and today we're going to have a very very timely topic it is our annual let's save you some money on taxes podcast And I couldn't have a better partner in crime and guest than um, my good friend Mel Schwartz, who is the Director of Legislative Affairs for Ide Bailey, the firm that I am affiliated with. I am a dental division director at Ide Bailey. And uh, Mel has 38 years of experience. We'll tell you a little bit about him in in a moment. Um, The great thing about being with Ide Bailey which I did not have access to before I was part of Ide Bailey, uh, is that Mel has his ear to uh, everything that's going on in Washington, what kind of new laws are coming out, what are they thinking about for year-end, what's Secure 2.0 looking like. We'll talk about all that today, and uh, you're you're not going to get any more updated information as far as what tax legislation looks like than you are on this podcast. I have no problem saying that, folks. So before we get to Mel, I want to share a couple of things with you. First of all, please, please go on to the website of our wonderful partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, uh, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, the best clinical content that there is in the dental profession, Uh, the top clinicians from all over the world covering up-to-date clinical topics, Uh, as well as 140 continuing education courses at a very, very reasonable price. Go to www.decisionsindentistry.com. 
My mothership is the Academy of Dental CPAs, 25 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 10,000 dentists. I was a founding member of this group. We have 46 offices in Ide Bailey in the Western United States and work in those neighborhoods. I happen to be in Tustin. Mel happens to be in Washington just because that happens to be where the government is, and it's probably a good place for him to be. He's not in the Western United States. Um, their website's www.adcpa.org. So um, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be having some dates for you folks in California. Um, I am working with my good friend, Katie Fernelli, who is the management consultant extraordinaire that works for the California Dental Association. And the California Dental Association is making a huge effort to help young dentists uh, that are just starting out and either looking at their options of starting a practice or buying a practice or going into corporate dentistry. And we're going to be doing live seminars, uh, two of them in Southern California in March and two of them in Northern California, I believe in San Jose and Sacramento in June. In addition, I have been told that I will be uh, presenting both at the Southern and Northern CDA convention. So if any of you guys want to take a vacation from out of California into California, um, the the CDA South is in May and the CDA North is usually in September. They're changing the CDA North from San Francisco at the Moscone Center to somewhere in San Jose. I don't quite know where that is, but I will find out because it would be a good idea for me to know where I'm going. And uh, so we'll give you some dates and topics uh, uh, coming up uh, shortly on that. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. So let me get to my good friend, uh, Mel Schwarz. Uh, Mel is an invaluable resource, not only for me, but for our entire firm uh, at Ide Bailey. Um, he has incredible experience. And again, as I said earlier, you just don't get this kind of information unless you have somebody sitting there and, and talking, you know, uh, to the folks in Washington, talking to Nancy Pelosi's office, talking to talking to Chuck Schumer's office and the folks on the House Ways and Means and the Senate Finance Committee. So Mel has over 38 years of experience specializing in legislative affairs, including development and implementation of tax legislation at the national level. He spent six years on the staff of the Joint Committee of Taxation and has served as the chairman of the Tax Legislation Committee of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. He oversees Ide Bailey's monitoring of federal tax legislation and the regulations implementing that legislation and shares that knowledge with the firm and its clients. And he is a very much sought after speaker for many AICPA, TEI, and FEI conferences. And of course, he is much smarter than your host, which is why I have him on. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Well, thank you, Art. Uh, and uh, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't shortchange your knowledge here, Art. I think that I learn many things <laughs> as I participate in these webcasts with you, and it's, uh, uh, it, it is always a pleasure to be a part of this. 
Well, you're very, you're very, very kind. And uh, I think this is the second or third time you, you've been on the podcast. And um, I mentioned a little bit about your journey. What, what, tell us a little bit about your career before we get into all the great stuff we're going to tell our folks on the podcast today. Oh, it's, it, it is, it's a not a typical Washington, D.C. story. I came in uh, the summer of 1984 on a one-year tour of duty and never went home. Uh, now, I did marry a local, so I, I, I have that to argue for. Uh, and uh, but that is uh, that's the background. I was fortunate enough to spend uh, the uh, uh, time on staff, the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is uh, it is a shared staff for the Finance Committee and the Ways and Means Committee, the two tax writing committees in Congress uh, of essentially technical people, uh, not intended to uh, have necessarily a, a partisan push but one that can go through, can keep track of how the changes that are proposed in legislation can interact with what is already in the Internal Revenue Code, for instance. Uh, we're also the ones who publish the uh, uh, revenue estimates, which you may have heard referred to in the, in the popular press. And although I was not one of the economists directly responsible, I was one of the uh, attorneys, accountants responsible for explaining to the economists <laughs> what it what was going does to it do. Mean? So if, we if we completely blew the estimate, it's, I guess, at least partially my fault. <laughs> that, that's right. Now, isn't there something in the tax law, Mel, that says that anytime they put in a provision that cuts uh, revenues, they have to have a supporting provision that raises revenues, or does that go away? The, no, that that is part of the budget process. So that if you're going to pass tax legislation, for instance, in the context of budget legislation, typically they require that there be offsetting revenue raisers. Uh, that's not a firm and fast rule, uh, although I think it, uh, um, there have been past chairman of the Ways and Means Committee that have complained that uh, the rest of Congress figures out to spend the money and then sends the bill to the tax writers and uh -huh. asks them to come up with the cash. Yeah, and, uh, and, yeah, fortunately, yeah. that we've moved away a little bit from that, but that is uh, uh, that continues to to be a concern. Now, well, revenue is a concern, especially since our country is over thirty one trillion dollars in debt, and uh, I I certainly don't see it going down anytime soon. And I'm sure you have a much better handle on that. Um, let, let's start talking about, uh, well, let's see, today is the 5th of December. Yes. Tomorrow, um, um, uh, the, the two folks in Georgia are going to, uh, Raphael, War is it War Warnoff? Did I have Warnock. Right? Warnock and, uh, Herschel Walker, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner from Georgia. They are going to face off in a very hotly contested race, but the Senate has pretty much been decided um, if, um, you know, you know, if, if, let's see, Warnock is, let me get my, my Democrats and Republicans, right. Warnock is a Demo Democrat and Correct. Walker is a Republican. And right now we are at 50 to 49 in favor of the Democrats, right? Yes. So if Mr. Warnock wins tomorrow, um, we'll be at 51 49, which, gives the Democrats a um, sliver hairline advantage of doing stuff in the Senate uh, as opposed to what they've had the last two years, which is 50-50, where Vice President Harris had to break any ties, right? Correct. 
Yeah. And then the House has got, what is it, three or four in favor of the, I think it's three or four seats in favor. Was it 221 or 222? That's 222 is where we where we think the number is right now. But it is a, a, an incredibly narrow margin uh, yeah, and, in the House. So, so with that said, we have a Democratic Senate, a Republican House, and a Democratic president. Um, what does that mean for tax legislation? Let's start that discussion. I think that the most people would, or many people would simply say, it means that nothing's going to happen. That <laughs> you know, the, the, the two sides cannot get together, will not get together. Uh, I think that probably overstates uh, or is too pessimistic. There are some things that are popular on both sides of the aisle. And very easily could be uh, enacted, could be passed and, and signed by the president. Uh, you mentioned, I think, uh, earlier on the uh, uh, the issue of, of some of the retirement change. Right. I think though that's one to very much stay uh, aware of and stay focused on. The Whether we can get to the bigger questions of uh, things like uh, when when the when the Republicans passed the uh, Jobs Creation Act back in uh, 2017, a number of things were included for the convenience of the revenue estimates because <laughs> they had they didn't have to be revenue neutral. They didn't have to hit zero, but they did have to hit a target. And so to hit that target, they included some things, some revenue raisers, frankly, that they never intended to become part of the law. Well, like what? Oh, uh, changing the ability of uh, changing the ability of corporations to deduct interest, uh, right. legitimate interest. Yeah. Uh, rules with regard to whether the uh, uh, whether you get to deduct or are required to capitalize your research experiment and experimentation. Uh, there are some other provisions dealing with the uh, uh, taxation uh, more on the individual side that are of concern. And in fact, one of those is a, a rate potential rate increase that will occur in, I believe it's 2026, if we do not see something happen between now and then. Now, 2026 is a ways off. Uh, some of these other provisions are already taking effect. For instance, uh, the businesses that engage in, in research uh, are already supposed to be capitalizing their research experience, uh, expenses, which no one, I think, ever really thought would become part of the law. But it is. It has gone into effect. There will be a big push on the part of the, uh, particularly the House Republicans, to overturn these items to fix this problem. Uh, there will be resistance to that. Uh, part of it, I think, is going to be Democrats are likely to say, well, you know, you guys wrote the legislation. Why are you asking us to fix it for you now? Yeah, right. uh, which, exactly. unfortunately, is a habit that Congress, both parties in Congress, <laughs> have gotten into. Uh, but I think that's those are some of the things that we're looking okay. to see. I don't see radical anything that would be radical in the way of uh, revenue tax increases being passed really in the next two years. 
Now, uh, now they did. They did say. I mean, President Biden ran, and again, we're not folks. You know me. Four years now. I just mentioned four years. I don't do politics on this podcast. You want to do <laughs> politics, you can go to any number of political podcasts are out there and you can listen to that to your heart's content. But we talk about politics to the extent that it affects tax law. And uh, President Biden ran on the provision that he was not going to raise taxes on anybody who made less than $400,000 as a joint return. Is, is that, that Do you remember that? That's exactly right. Right. And so I've heard things and I'm wondering your comment before we get into some of these details is. So do you think that if, you know, if the president wants to get some something, you know, going some tax legislation going, maybe raise rates on, um, uh, you know, higher income people, which Democrats tend to want to do. And again, not a political comment, just that's what happens is. um do you think President Biden might want to horse trade some other non-tax issues to get some of that? Do you think we might see some of that? That That is possible. Uh, I think particularly if you're talking about something like a rate increase, particularly an individual rate increase, which I think is going to affect most of the, the people who are listening here, uh, it's very doubtful that the votes for that are there. Uh, right. There are Democrats who would vote against that. I think Pretty much every Republican would vote against that. Uh, it doesn't seem to me to be the kind of thing that is likely to be traded. Uh, in some ways, uh, trades that raise taxes and cut spending are very, very difficult <laughs> to do politically. Uh -huh. I mean, there are deals on the table right now. Uh, well, you spend this and I'll spend this and we'll all go home happy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, <laughs> that tends to be the direction that uh, it's it's easier to go that direction politically than it yep. is to, to to take the uh, the harsh medicine of either cutting spending, real cutting spending, or uh, increasing uh, increasing taxes. So I don't see that. Uh, I don't see. I mean, maybe if you talked about a billionaire's surtax. That is yeah. a small enough group, uh, or a. Uh, but I think uh, the millionaire surtax, that that's going to be a stretch under who has current under under the, the uh, who has has currently been elected, and I'm not sure I see what would be they would trade. I don't see what would be traded for that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've just I've just kind of heard things about that, but that's why you have your well, ear to the you know, to the grindstone here. I, mean, I think that Biden has shown that. Uh, he can grasp reality, and that sometimes you don't have the votes. Yeah, and yeah. that is it's particularly as we. I mean, a lot of this the next two years are going to be the political side is going to be focused on getting ready for the twenty twenty four elections, both on both in Congress and the presidency, and those two the two years before the presidential election are much harder to enact legislation in than the two years prior. Which uh, makes people who are doing CPA work very happy because, you know, I, I mean, you and I have both been in the tax profession 40 plus years and we, you get to the point where you just say, guys, <laughs> just leave the damn tax law alone. Let us figure it out before you change it again, you know? That would be, uh, there, there, there would be much to be said for that. Uh, <laughs> There would be much to be said for that. I think that the uh, uh, one thing that I will say 
uh, about the uh, uh, the idea of the of legislation. We we did mention the uh, I think there is pension legislation that there seems to be some general agreement on. We right. can talk a little bit about that yeah. later or now. We will a little bit later. Yeah, that is uh, likely to move forward. Uh, there are various tinkerings with things that don't work very well right now that they might be able to get to. Uh, one of the things that there are enormous questions about fall in the international area. And it right. actually may well be that if there is going to be tax legislation, the international questions are going to be what suck the oxygen out of the room and sort of leave the rest of us alone. Yeah, well, and, and that is not something that generally affects the folks that listen to this podcast, so we won't get too much into that today. So let, let's get into some of the topics I want to talk to you about. First of all, we've been talking on this podcast about the employee retention tax credit for the last two years, and I have been harping on my soapbox here on this podcast, on webinars, and to anybody who will listen to me, that there are bad players out there. Mel, you and I have talked about this at length. There are companies, uh, I even mentioned on the webinar that you and I did last week, uh, in fact, if any of you want to, you know, you, you, you really want to learn about tax law, we did a real deep dive uh, on uh, Friday, the 2nd of December, Mel and I, in our uh, Business of Dentistry webinar series, which will be up on our iBelly YouTube page probably sometime this week, the week of the 5th, and you can certainly listen to it. We're not going to get into everything today that we talked about on Friday. But um, we, we did talk about the employee retention tax credit and how uh, this is a credit that there are companies that have sprung up that are literally making illegal claims, uh, calling business owners. I think I mentioned email. I got a call on my cell phone from a number in Texas and a, a very intelligent lady called me and said, hello, sir, have you heard about the employee retention tax credit? And you can get up to $26,000 per employee. And how many employees do you have? And wouldn't that be great? And that's how she started out. And I just don't have the patience or the time to deal with that. But um, the, the fact is, is that there are a lot of players out there that are charging fees of 25 to 35% or more of the credit um, that are just, they're just gonna basically set people up for big problems. So Mel, you and I talked about this and, and Washington is well aware that, you know, if your goldfish died or you have a, just had a root canal, that doesn't qualify you for the employee retention tax credit. So what's IRS doing about this and what are they saying? I want my listeners to hear this straight. I'm not going to straight say from the horse's mouth because that would not be a very nice thing to say to you and you are my friend. So uh, <laughs> let's just say from uh, someone who's in the know. The IRS is targeting this. And this may be one of the items uh, that actually was included in the legislation that passed this year, the tax legislation, was significant additional money for the IRS to spend on enforcement. And this is expected to be one of the ways that they spend that money. Uh, the, uh, I mean, it's relatively easy for them to pick out Situations and you have to meet very, very specific uh, rules in right. order to claim the either you have to have a diminution of uh, economic activity or you need to have been told by a government agency that you need you needed to shut down. OK, it's fairly easy for the IRS to turn around and say, OK, show me your numbers. 
did you really have the decline in earnings? Or show me the order from the your, from the local government that said you had to shut down. If you can't produce one of those two, I think that uh, you are likely in the cross uh, the crosshairs, and uh, the IRS is coming. And the IRS is coming after particularly people who may have filed for these claims uh, in part as a response to the kind of boiler room calls that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, the IRS can use a technique called a John Doe summons to essentially go to one of these promoters and say, well, you go to the judge and you say, judge, give us a summons that requires the promoter to send us a list of everybody they did business with, with respect to this. And the judge will say, why should you get that? And the IRS will said, well, we have examined X number uh, that were associated with this promoter and all of them were defective. And the judge <laughs> will say, uh-huh. Okay. Where yes, do so I, I have another? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and so I'm reading right here an article from uh, tax notes and uh, just, it says IRS training materials explain how examiners should scrutinize the use of the employee retention tax credit, which the agency warns is being abused by third parties with schemes targeting employers that are ineligible for it. So in other words, the IRS knows the name. Uh, there is actually a form that you can fill out. I don't know the number off the top of my head that if you have been approached by a promoter that you believe is uh, <laughs> asking you to do something illegal, you can turn them into the IRS. And I guarantee you there are CPAs out there whose clients have called and have said, you know, uh, this is really annoying. And my client expects me to buy into this because so-and-so said it was good. And, and they said, you can take it on TikTok and, you know, things like that. Right. And so uh, all we're going to say, and I don't want to go much further on this, Mel, because we got a lot of other things we want to talk about is that be very careful. If you have any questions about this, please email me at aweederman at idbailey.com. I have done, supervised, reviewed in great detail over 125 dental practices that we've gotten over $5 million for. Our firm has done probably over a thousand of these. I don't, I've looked at the list. It's, it just keeps going and going for all types of businesses. Um, in my opinion, there are very few CPA firms that know these rules better than I'd Bailey does. We have a a team, our partners, uh, yeah, Joe Sutter, Jim Donovan, Tanya Rule, they're they're on top of this. I call them with question stuff. So just just be careful, folks, if, if if something doesn't smell right. All right, let's go to the next one. We had this thing called the Inflation Reduction Act that got passed. And I heard that they are basically adding $87 billion over the next 10 years to the IRS's budget, and they want them to hire, what is it, 80,000 employees, Mel? So should we all be like, I mean, you know, stop writing our dog off as a dependent and stuff like that? What What does this all mean? Yeah, I, I, I would advise not... I would advise you go ahead and stop writing the dog off as this. Well, now, wait a minute. My <laughs> dog helps me in the business. Yeah, come on. Don't, you know, please, really. I guess there's got to be some advantage of doing taxes and helping the government for 40. No, I'm just kidding. 
No, uh, no, I, no. I they shut that down when they required you to provide his social security number. Uh, oh, but that well, is. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you may have a point there. I'm telling you. That may be. Uh, well, now that actually that may be something that the uh, the IRS should consider spending some of this eighty nine billion dollars that they've gotten. Uh, is to cross-reference uh, the social security numbers oh and God. see whether they actually exist. Yeah, It is, uh, I think there has been a, a number of things that have floated around on the internet that have talked about that sort of the sky is falling as a result, that this is going to be an army of IRS agents that are going to march in and uh, audit every human being. I, I, that goes way beyond. Well, for one thing, that's not nowhere near enough money to uh, to, to accomplish that. Uh, the reality is, they're hiring plans, and these are hiring plans that were conditioned on getting this additional money. Are more in the area of five to seven thousand employees per year, and that's a gross number. That's not a net number. They're a tremendous number of IRS employees that are eligible for retirement pretty much at full federal retirement pensions. So uh, what the net number is going to look like is going to be nowhere the size of some of the numbers that you hear discussed. All of the, a lot of the money, in fact, over half the money is directed at things such as improving the IRS computers, uh, having somebody answer the phone when you call the IRS, and maybe processing the couple of years worth of backlog that they have on returns right now. Uh, so it's not a, uh, yes, there's going to be more activity. I think we should be looking for activity in areas that either are easy to focus on or are things that are particular of particular interest and possibly fairly broad interest. So the, what you state about the employee retention credit, the ERC, I think that's very timely. That is one area that I would expect them to send particularly some of their newer agents out uh, to look at. Another area that we know that they all that IRS is always concerned about are transactions in cryptocurrency. Uh, there is a belief in Washington, uh, probably, well, whether it's correct or not, there is a belief in Washington that a significant number of cryptocurrency transactions are trying to hide something. And uh -huh. that is always an area, creates a, 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 a sense of suspicion that is... Uh, uh, can lead. So I would be, I, I mean, I think these are two, and I don't want to say that, you know, there is no way to legitimately claim uh, an ERC or there is no way to, and I guess now what we're going to be looking at is people claiming some capital losses with respect to their cryptocurrency. Oh my goodness. So there's a 32 yeah. bill. And oh my God, it was incredible. <laughs> that, that the guy got, he actually agreed to an interview. I don't know if you saw that. The CEO he, he looks like he's about 12 years old, and he talked about how he made mistakes and all this stuff. And his his this is all on 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 the on TV on the internet. So I'm not yeah. giving up. His mother and father are Stanford law professors. 
that's crazy. And and so yeah, I mean, what happens with all that money, and 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 all that? I mean, that that's again, <laughs> I, I don't have a I don't have a P ten number anymore, so I don't have to worry well, about you that. Know, nor, it, nor do you. It's but, like um, uh, it's like it's like investing with that uh, that guy in uh, New York City. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I did have some people who did uh, invest with him. Yeah, it is. All right, so so we shouldn't be really super. I mean, the IRS's computer system is circa 1960. Yes. Uh, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Um, I think the statistic, Mel, was that the IRS answers maybe 11% of phone calls on a timely basis. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous number. So they really need to in- improve their customer service. They desperately need to improve the customer service. They desperately need to improve their ability to process the returns. And uh, the expectation is that Money that is that a lot of this $89 billion will ultimately be de- dedicated to those areas. Uh, and that is because I think that's where the need's going to be. We're going to have, with the Republicans in charge in the House, we're going to have some fairly close supervision of how this money is spent. Right. And uh, hopefully that will move it in the, the service direction. Uh, not to say that there's not some benefit to uh, additional enforcement, because it it does seem unfair that you know you pay your taxes, why doesn't the other guy pay his taxes? On the other hand, um, the system is the system needs some help right now, and it, it, and they fell behind for two years of COVID, so they were shut shut down completely for almost a year of that. I mean, from what yes, I understand, yes, and so. you can only you, remote work only only does so far. Uh, that, I mean, right. at some point, you've got you to be on site. All right, let's save these folks some money. So I know that there's almost a half a, I think, was it a half a trillion dollars maybe in new energy incentives yes. in the new rules. And, and I think for the dentists, um, number one is the electric cars. So we're not going to get, I mean, it, it, we could spend two days talking about the new electric car rules. But from a high level, kind of talk about if someone is thinking in the next Again, this is coming out on the 14th of December. So in the next two weeks or two and a half weeks, uh, your accountant says you need a write-off, go buy a car. All right, so let's talk about if you know you want to buy an electric car, how does that all work? Well, right now, there are still some what we would call limitations on the ability to claim. We're going to get a bigger credit. We're moving up to a $7,500 a car credit. Now, there are some limitations here based on what the sale price of the car is. There are some limitations based on how much money that you earn. So if you're over that sort of magic $400,000 tax uh, income on for a married couple, you're maybe limited in your ability to access these electric car benefits. But it is going to be more, and I think more importantly, what they have done is they've taken the 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 limitate the car the mark by mark limitations. Used to be Toyota could sell so many, and Lex and uh, you know GM could sell so many, and Ford could sell so many. Those sort of limitations are taken away, beginning in nineteen in twenty twenty three. Now, what substitutes for them is some requirements for domestic content, domestic assembly, which at the moment, there's some question as to exactly how they're going to apply, and there is some question as to which cars are going to satisfy. So 
I hate to say this, but uh, if you are really interested in an electric car, uh, certainly waiting until 2023 to make the purchase uh, and uh, uh, even going beyond, uh, you know, maybe even going beyond January and February until we see some, some settlement. One of the changes we may see and I think is being pushed very hard is to loosen up some of the domestic content requirements, at least in the beginning. And that will give us an op, give more companies an opportunity to advantage these credits in connection with the electric cars. So I, 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 wait, a, wait a couple of weeks at least. On the other hand, if right. you are looking, I mean, if, if this is a tax play and you don't specifically want to participate in the electric cars, or you say, you know, okay, I can, I don't, I only keep a car for a couple of years anyway, or maybe I, I only keep a car for a couple of years. I'll get the electric car in 2024 when all this settles. Right, and uh, one thing now, do. now buying the car this year, I think, begins to make some uh, some additional sense uh, because we do have, uh, we are going to have a, a change in the depreciation rules beginning right. next year. We have gotten used to the idea that you can pretty much expense any capital asset that you purchase. Uh, there are still going to be opportunities to expense capital assets, in, including the car that you use in the business. But if you don't fit into one, into that special category, uh, the uh, percentage that you can uh, deduct on the front end is going to go from 100% to 80% next year. So right. there's and that may apply to some of the other things that you might be considering for uh, putting in your business, uh, perhaps even yeah. more than the car. And we'll we'll get into that one in a second. I want to get back to the electric car. So I'm thinking, Mel, that you know, if you are looking at a car, and, and one of the things you and I have talked about is that you really have to lean on the dealer, the, the, the car dealer. You have to go to the car dealer and say, listen, is the car that I'm looking at buying from you, has it hit the, and I think in most cases it's 200,000 uh, sold domestically. If I remember correctly, I could right. be mistaken. So I know that many of the Tesla models have hit that because obviously Tesla has become one of the most popular automobiles on the road. Uh, I know we talked about maybe some of the Toyota brands. So if you're looking for a tax write-off for this year, and you want to buy an electric car and 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 with an electric car obviously comes non-tax issues such as um charging stations i mean that we don't have as much as many charging stations in this country as we have gas stations so right. you know if you need a car that's going to go five or six hundred miles on a charge most of these cars don't do that some maybe do i'm not an expert in electric cars but if in 2022, folks, you want to buy an electric car and it hasn't hit the limit and it qualifies and there aren't don't have all these domestic assembly requirements uh, in them. And I think there's an August 8th date that you have to look at or August yes. 23rd or something like that. Uh, and again, we don't have time to get into all of that on a podcast is it may be a really good play for you to buy this car in 2022. On the other hand, if you want that Tesla model that qualifies for the $7,500 credit. Remember, a credit is much better than a deduction because a deduction, if I get a $7,500 deduction and I'm in a 
let's just say a 30% tax bracket. There isn't a 30%, but just the numbers are easy. That's a $2,250 tax savings. But if I get a $7,500 credit, I get $7,500 in my pocket. And that's much better than a deduction. So, uh, you know, talk to your CPA. If you have any questions about that, certainly give me a call. I can help you with all of that. So, so we have that. The other thing that came up with all this energy incentives is that you and I talked about, and, I, and you shared this with me. I think this is great. We have a lot of our doctors who are very charitable people, and they spend times on boards of not-for-profit and their local church or synagogue or civic organization. And and Mel, I guess there's some new provisions in these laws that help not-for-profits as far as putting up, you know, solar panel roofs and stuff. Talk about that. Exactly so. I mean, in, in many ways, this is the big change uh, that was included on that side of the of the legislation. As you say, under the, under traditional rules, uh, a tax exempt, uh, a charity, a church, synagogue, whatever, uh, they didn't get to play in the incentives that the tax code has for uh, energy efficiency, for alternative energy sources. Beginning January 1 of 2023, uh, the rules change. And in fact, with respect to those incentives, the charity, church, synagogue, state government uh, qualifies. And in fact, instead of a credit, because they don't pay taxes, Right. Instead of the instead of a credit on their return, what they effectively get is a check from the IRS in the amount of what the credit would be. And they call it it's called direct pay. And certainly for those of your uh, your listeners that, uh, you know, are involved on boards, uh, are involved in just volunteering, this is something that is because it's it's things that are out there. It's putting up a solar panel. It's uh, creating some efficiencies with regard to the way the electricity is used in the uh, in the facility. Uh, these are items that a you know, solar panel. The, the the IRS will now pick up. 30, will now send you a check for thirty percent of the cost of buying and installing your solar panel, so long as you place it in service in twenty twenty three or later. So don't put it in service today. Yeah, right, right. Let's wait, wait till next. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Tell that yeah. now. No, send send the construction guys home. Uh, right. <laughs> but that is a uh, uh, that is something that uh, was never available before. That suddenly becomes available, and there were ways to do it, but it was somewhat cumbersome. And this is really something that uh, it's going to be a relatively simple form, and it's something that I you know I think the bookkeeper at the the uh, uh, at the charity could uh, could easily uh, could easily manage with a little bit of guidance. So uh, be aware that it's out there. Be aware that you can take advantage of it, and that you know you too can. Uh, and that's that's a very good way to contribute, I think, to the uh, to the whole green movement is uh, by bringing entities that probably already have an interest in being green. Uh, bringing them to the table, bringing them, uh, uh, and really showing this additional, I mean, 30% off benefit that the government is now going to offer them. Exactly. All right, let's hit a bunch of topics, Mel, regarding the dentists and what they can do in 2022 to save taxes. Um, let, let's talk about the, the tax rates. The tax rates, other than being indexed for inflation, 
are not changing between 2022 and 2023 to the best of any of our knowledge, right? Correct. So we go from a 10% marginal tax rate to a 37%. So folks, let me explain just for a second. You're too, you, you're going to hear, you know, I, I have Dennis say, well, I'm in an 80% tax bracket. No, you're not in an 80% tax bracket, okay? Um, there's a marginal rate and an effective rate. The marginal rate says that if I make $300,000 a year, um, I'm in a 24% tax bracket. That means every additional dollar I make up to about maybe $340,000 a year is going to be taxed at 24%. Then once I hit the the end of the 24% bracket, it goes to 32. Then it goes to 35. Then once your taxable income is over about $660,000, I believe it is, you are now at a, the maximum bracket is 37%. So the only change, Mel, is that they index because I heard there's inflation out there. Yeah. I, 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 is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what the uh, that's what the, uh, the 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 economists tell us, and yeah, the so, economists told the IRS. And so we're essentially going to take each of those brackets, each of those trigger points, and move them up about five percent. So right. there is, you know, again, it just reflects the change. But it, it we don't we're not talking about any kind of a structural change. We're not talking about a change in the top rate uh, applying this year versus twenty twenty three. And, and the capital gains rates have not changed, nor are not they changed. changing. So, so folks, here's the deal. Remember that an ordinary income item is taxed at anywhere between 10 and 37%. But if I can generate a capital gain on something, that is taxed at either, well, zero, we'll talk about that in a second, 15 or 20%. Now you got to, in order to get a twenty percent capital gain rate, I think you've got to have income of over like six hundred thousand yes. dollars. So yeah. most of us mortals are going to have capital gains taxed at fifteen percent. There's no cheaper money. So for this year, um, twenty twenty two, the markets are down. The S and P is down by uh, t about seventeen percent. The Nasdaq is down by thirty percent. The Dow is down by about seven or eight, but that's just thirty stocks. So. There are doctors, you're going to have some, you're going to have losses in your portfolios, right, Mel? So maybe this is the year if you want to recognize some of those losses, you only get a capital loss of up to $3,000. So if you have net losses, it's it's 3000 the rest carries over. But, but Mel, what if someone's owned Apple stock from 1872 that they bought at a dollar a share and is now split 17 times, is now worth a gazillion dollars? If you've got losses in your portfolio, I can offset them against my gains, right? That's correct. So yeah. this may be a year to harvest. We talk about harvesting losses as a way, okay, I have, I've, I've recognized capital gains over the year. How much loss do I have in my portfolio? Can I harvest that and offset the gains so I don't pay any capital gains tax? But this is also an opportunity if you have some highly appreciated stock that you do not think you will hold until you pass away. This is an opportunity to uh, to recognize some of that gain, knowing you have losses already incurred or losses that you can incur that will offset that gain and effectively keep that out of the tax system. That's right. And one other thing that we want to talk about too and it's jumping a little ahead to when we're going to talk about deductions, is if you own appreciated stock. So let's say you bought Apple stock 
for a dollar a share and now you're it's worth a hundred dollars a share. I haven't looked what it is, but let's just say it's worth a hundred thousand and you paid a thousand for it, which is not too far from the truth if you bought it 10, 15, 20 years ago. So if I sell that Apple stock, I have a $99,000 long-term capital gain. Yep. And I'm going to pay, and again, in California, the, the rate's going to be as high as 13.3%, but let's just call it 10. So I'm going to pay 15% federal, 10%, that's uh, California, that's 25%. So my gain, call it 100 grand of a gain. I end up with 75,000 that I can give to a charity. But wouldn't it be better, Mel, if instead of doing that, I just gave the stock in kind? How does that work? That When I give the stock in kind, I get a deduction, but I don't have to recognize the gain. Right. So that is that is the and I get the deduction for the hundred thousand, not for the one thousand that I paid. That's right. So, so that is you can either you can either pay you are able to significantly increase the value of your contribution by giving the stock, giving the appreciated asset rather than uh Cashing it, paying the tax, and right. then just sending them cash. And the other thing you can do, there's a thing out there, folks, called donor-advised funds, which is really cool to use. So let's say that you, you, you go to your accountant and you had a big year in your dental practice, and you really want to help your, you know, you, you really want to help several organizations. You don't know which ones. You want to help the Cancer Society, the Alzheimer's Society, I mean, whatever society you want to help. But you're not really sure over the next couple of years, and you want to give $100,000. You can contribute to what's called a donor advised fund, which is a fund that says, okay, I'm going to give this fund $100,000. I'm not going to decide where the money's going today, and it's not going to go to the charity today, but it's going to go to the charity sometime in the next couple of years. You get that deduction today, and then you can choose to dole that money out over several years, right, Mel? That's correct. Yeah. So, so that's one thing that we talked about. All right. Let's get into quickly about retirement plans. Um, there are three types of retirement plans, baby bear, mama bear, papa bear, folks. The baby bear plan is the simple IRA, and you can put up to about 35000 if you put your uh, non-working spouse or working spouse on the on the plan. Um, if you it is too late to set one of those up for 2022 because you have to have had done that by October 1st. Um, the second type of a plan is a profit sharing plan where you can put in up to 60, you know, potentially if you're over 50 years old, $67,000. Uh, and if you put your non-working spouse on the plan, that's another potentially $25,000 or $30,000 you could put in. And you only have to put in 10 or 15 maybe for your staff. Uh, if you want to set one of those plans up, be my guest. You have to have that done by December 31st. And uh, we'll talk about basis in a second. And then if if you have a lot of money, 100, 200, 300,000 that you can, you are just going to save it in your personal savings, I would strongly encourage anybody over the age of 35, that's right, 35, to take a look at a cash balance defined benefit pension plan. So if you have any questions about any of this, again, give me a call, 657-279-3243 or aweederman at idbailey.com. I've been doing this for a long, long time. So um, the one thing that you have to be really careful about, folks, if you want to go to a profit sharing plan and you already have a simple IRA, you must stop funding your simple IRA as of December 31st. You can fund your last payroll 
and put the money in the first week of January. But as long as it was for last year, you cannot have a simple IRA and any other type of a plan. All right, Mel, you mentioned depreciation uh, is kind of going to get phased back a little bit. So folks, another thing that you can do is buy dental equipment. Now, uh, I've heard from different dental suppliers that that the supply chain issues are still out there, but there's still stuff that you can buy. You can buy digital scanners, you can buy uh, iCatch, you can buy uh, you know all these you know CEREC machines if they're available. They have to be placed in service before December 31st. So if a, an equipment salesman says to you, "Oh, hey, Doctor Schwartz, don't worry about it. Just give me a deposit, and we'll send you the equipment next year, and you can write it off this year." Nope, wrong answer. So Mel, they're changing the bonus. You get 100% bonus depreciation this year, but that's starting to phase out, isn't it? Yes, we lose 20%, essentially 20 points uh, every year going forward. Uh, so for 2023, it's going to be 80%. For 2024, it's going to be 60% and on down. Right. Uh, so that is, and there will be an effort to change that. Uh, given the political situation, I don't think we can count on them being successful in restoring the 100% depreciation for 2023. So uh, if you can get the property in service, uh, that is, uh, uh, that's game. Now, keep in mind, what does in-service mean? In, or in-service in, in mean? It's got to be in place and available for use. Right. It does not specifically have to be used. So, for instance, if you are taking off the week between Christmas and New Year's, so long as the machine is delivered, the machine is hooked up, and is ready to be used on a patient, then uh, you are in 2022, even if you have no patient until the first week of 2023. That's right. And I would recommend that you take pictures, dated pictures of that uh, installation so that the IRS can, you know, again, remember, Mel and I have talked about this many times, not only off the podcast and webinars that we've done together, but on, um, on them as well. Um, is is that you are not required, folks, to pay one dime more of tax than the law allows you. And, uh, you know, uh, we always use the, I use the term, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. And, you know, I always tell my clients, Mel, uh, you know, the, there's white, which we'll do all day. There's black, which we never do, meaning, uh, and I'm, I'm talking about the, you know, white being an absolute 100% fully deductible, black being 100% totally illegal. And then there's the gray area, which is between white and black. And basically we talk about that. So, you know, that that's kind of how we run the place. And, um, uh, you know, most of you folks are not CPAs, but you know enough uh, to know the difference between a business of personal expense. We'll, we'll save that for the last uh, item before we we sign off today. Um, let's talk about car purchases. Now, this, uh, oh, but before I before I, I go from there, one thing that I would encourage all of you to do, whether it be for the pension plan setup, especially if you're going to use 2023 profits to fund your 2022 pension, because remember, folks, if you set up a plan, you do have until the due date of your tax return, including extensions to to fund that plan. So let's say you have 100,000 and you can fund the plan for 2022. Um, You don't have to write that check on December 31st. However, you need to have what's called S 
corporation basis. We are not getting deep in the weeds in that. If you write anything down from this podcast today, folks, here's what you need to write down. If you are either buying a piece of equipment before the end of December, placing in a service, or you're setting up a pension plan, you must call your CPA or tax advisor and say the following. Dear CPA or tax advisor, I am setting up a pension plan. I am buying some equipment. Do I have, if you're an S corporation, do I have sufficient S corporation basis to take the deduction in 2022? If they say, what does basis mean? You need to call me. If they say, no, you're good. I've looked it up. I've checked your basis. I've calculated your, then you're okay. So that's very important to know. Uh, Mel automobiles. So there's a difference if I buy a car that's more than 6,000 pounds versus less than 6,000 pounds, right? That's right. Because if it's more than 6,000 pounds, it's a truck. Yeah. (laughs) Or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big, you know, what truck, right? You know what? And it effectively is taxed pretty much the same way as a truck. Right. So, so if you buy a, if you buy a vehicle and it is over 6,000 pounds, GVWR, ground vehicle weight rating is what that's called. You can find that rating on the inside driver's front door. It will be right there. There's a, and and it's got to be over 6,000 pounds. I had a client that came to me. There's a GVR rating and a GVWR rating and the GVR rating for that car was 6002 but the GVWR was 5988 and I said it didn't qualify and I won't tell you what the rest of the conversation was cuz my client wasn't very happy but that's the law so if it's over 6000 pounds it's treated just like the purchase of a piece of dental equipment I get a 100% bonus depreciation this year times the business percentage now folks pigs get fat hogs get slaughtered Nobody uses a car 100% for business, but I will, by saying that, get an email mail from somebody who says, mm-hmm. Art, I have a car at the office, and I only drive it from the office to all my business meetings, so you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm sure there's one or two people out there that do that, but most of us don't do that. So driving to and from work generally doesn't qualify for uh, business driving, but driving to the lab, driving to see the CPA, driving to CE courses, driving to uh, anywhere that's business related is business driving. So, you know, you've got the maximum deduction for 2022 is um, $19,200 in depreciation which is 11,200 for the depreciation and 8,000 for the bonus part. And then that's going to go down each year as, as you continue to depreciate the car. So if you want a full write-off, the $6,000 car is the way to go. Do you want to own a car that's 6,000 pounds that gets three miles to the gallon? And we're still at five and a half, six dollars a gas here in California. I love when they say the average gallon of gas is $3.40. I was in Columbus, Ohio uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I went to the Ohio State-Michigan football game. I'll tell you what, if you're an Ohio State fan and you're in that stadium, I've never heard 107,600 people so quiet in my entire life in the second half. It was a fun game to watch, especially if you were a Michigan fan. And I'm not going down that road either because I will get death threats. But um, when I was in Columbus, I mean, the gas was, you know, three, three and a half bucks a gallon. So it's all different in all parts of the country. So we got automobiles. And then the last thing we'll talk about, Mel, is children on the payroll. You know, if you have a child, the standard deduction 
So they changed the standard deduction in 17, didn't they? Yes, they significantly increased the standard deduction with the idea that they wanted people to be able to take the standard deduction and not have to go through the uh, bookkeeping problems of, uh, of itemized deductions. So the way this works, folks, is this. In uh, state taxes, meaning your real estate taxes, your state income taxes, for those of you who live in the 41 states that have them, um, DMV fees, other taxes that are deductible, you are limited to $10,000, period. That's not changing anytime soon. So let's say that you have done a good job, you've paid your house off, or you've paid it way down, say you have no mortgage. I get $10,000 for taxes. I get nothing for home mortgage. And the other big thing is charitable contributions. Well, again, when I talk about charitable contributions, folks, it is only in the context of taxes. Giving money to charity is a very, very personal thing that every human being has to decide how much or how little they want to give. But, you know, maybe you only give 5000 a year to charity. And I say only. Maybe you give 5000 a year to charity. That's 15000 you would much rather, Mel, use your standard deduction of 20, mm-hmm. 25, 950. So, folks, if you're going to be in the standard deduction, you don't want to make another one or two thousand dollars of charitable donations in 2022. But maybe next year you're going to have you're going to give 20, 30, 40 thousand dollars to your dental school and their endowment fund to build a new dental building, uh, a building for the, the dental students or something like that. So you want to bunch your charitable donations into a year where you're going to have enough to put you over the standard deduction. Again, that's why all of you should be sitting down with your CPAs and talking to them about what can I do to save taxes? I was just on a call, Mel, with one of my best AAA plus clients. And he's looking at selling a partnership interest in his partnership to another dentist. And we and they said, he said, Art, should I do this before the end of the year or after the end of the year? And we looked at where he was this year and their practice bought a ton of equipment this year. So we decided that if he sold it in 2022, okay, he would only be in a 24% marginal rate. Whereas if he sold the interest in 2023, uh, he would be, and there's recapture tax that was involved. It was the ordinary mm-hmm. income part. He was going to be at 32%. So that's what you need to be doing with yes. your CPAs, folks. And that's what we at iBailey are really good. There's lots of smart people in this firm, Mel, I found out, <laughs> being part of it for two and a half years. All right, last thing I want to touch on, and and, and this is this is your kind of uh, bailiwick is, so let's talk about IRS is doing about auditing, audit rates. I mean, you know, everybody just like, I almost feel like everybody thinks that nobody's getting audited so I can run the dog and the bird and the fish and the, the poodle through the practice, right? And so, you know, and, and I know that the IRS doesn't want to, I mean, the IRS could balance the federal budget by auditing 50% of returns. Number one, they don't have the 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 manpower to do that. Number two, politically, that would be suicide, Right. If they did, I think that's correct. Yes. Right. Right. So, but but let's talk about the audit rate. We have this eighty-seven billion dollars. How are they doing as far as auditing small businesses? Are they increasing the auditing of small businesses? What's happening in Washington on that? And yeah. But I think there is there is going. We are going to see an increase in the auditing of small businesses. We're going to see an increase in the auditing of small businesses as they look for specific things. 
I mean, we've talked about, we keep coming back to ERC, yeah, the employee yeah. retention credit. That is one of the ones that they're going to look at. Uh, there does seem to still be a sense that they're trying to honor the $400,000. So if your income, and here, what, what the income before deductions, the, the income of, uh, is four hundred thousand or less for a married filing couple. I don't think your percentage chances are likely to go up that much unless you've got a trigger on your yeah. return. And you know, triggers come in lots of lots of different flavors, and it connects very closely with your statement of pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So, you know, things that stick out, things that have been associated with uh, misbehavior by others, let's say, (laughs) Uh, you want to be, I mean, they do, they risk, they're going to raise your risk of examination. How much, we can't say, but it is, uh, uh, I think that for for the, for the pretty much straightforward filer, there's going to be very little change in the incidence of exam. We're going to see to the extent that the service, the service knows where the money is, and the money is not in an individual small business. The money's over at Microsoft. That's right. That's that's yeah. that's how you collect the money. If you're going to if you're going to try and raise revenue, that's that's where you go collect it. Uh, it's like Willie uh, Willie said about the bank. Why, why do you rob banks? Well, that's where the money. They are the ones <laughs> that's where the money, money is. <laughs> Willie was a smart guy, you know. <laughs> so uh, I don't think it's something to be afraid of. I think it is something to be conscious of, in the sense that uh, you don't want to make a spectacle out of yourself. The the one thing I want to make, and this will be the last point, and then unfortunately, Mel, we have to call it a podcast, is this, folks. When you run your business, if you choose to be more aggressive in the deductions that you take in your business, the expenses you pay through your business, um, Costco, Home Depot, I mean, I've never, I've never seen that go through, um, my, 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 my favorite, my favorite deduction that I saw go through one of my clients' books was a credit card charge to Victoria's Secret, which he called uniform allowance. And I just lost it right there, you know? But, um, you know, if you're going to be aggressive, you want to do on the deduction side. I will be adamant about this. I have fired three clients in my career over this. You must report every dime of income that you receive, not negotiable. I had a doctor who I had a consultant 20 years ago called me, Mel, and said, did you know that this particular doctor is receiving seven to $9,000 a month of cash and not putting it in the bank? And she she said, okay. I said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to have a meeting. We had the meeting and I asked the doctor, so this is, is this true? And the consultant was sitting right there. And the doctor said, yes, this is true. And I said, why are you doing this? And the answer was amazing. Art, because if I didn't do it, you'd make me pay taxes on it. I said, okay, thank you very much. Uh, I As of right now, I'm terminating my relationship with you as an accountant. Because remember, folks, you sign your tax return under penalty of perjury. Penalty of perjury they send people to jail for. 
So you're not going to go to jail if the IRS disagrees that a particular expense in your business is not a legitimate deduction. You're not going to go to jail if you claim 80% business use and the IRS lands on 65% business use. You will go to jail if you take a bunch of money into your business and you don't report it as taxable income. Mel, am I off base here? You are straight, You are completely correct. Right. So that's the one point I want to leave. Mel Schwarz, uh, Director of Legislative Affairs at Ide Bailey, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I am so glad to know you because it it really helps me deliver the message to my listeners and to my audiences. Um, folks, if you have a chance to listen to the podcast that Mel and I did, it's two hours, a deeper, deeper dive into tax planning and all these subjects that we just don't have the time to do in a podcast that lasts a little less than an hour. So feel free to go onto our Ide Bailey YouTube page and look up December 2nd uh, webinar uh, for that. And our look at our entire Business of Dentistry webinar series and our transition series is all on our YouTube page. It's there to be had. And if you want a link to it, we can send it to you. Um, Mel, hang on as I take this thing out, uh, as I take the podcast out. Thank you so much for your time and expertise today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Art. It's always all a right. pleasure. And folks, don't forget to go onto our website of our wonderful partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com, 140 continuing education classes at a very, very reasonable price and the best clinical articles and information regarding helping you to be a better clinical dentist that you're ever going to find any in any publication anywhere. They have a great website. They have a great magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com. If you are listening to this podcast and you hear all this stuff and you say, wait a minute, uh, my CPA doesn't help me with any of this. I never meet with him. I always get a call on April 14th that says I owe $75,000 and I don't like that anymore. Give me a call. We can make that not happen to you anymore. Uh, we right now are working very hard in the months of October, November, and December, meeting after meeting after meeting and calculation after calculation to, to, to try and help you to pay as little money as you can. My job is to increase the federal deficit and the federal debt as much as I possibly can by cutting your taxes. Give me a call, 657-279-3243 or A. Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at Bailey. E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. And with that, folks, uh, that will be it for this edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Again, please tell your friends about the podcast. I think there is a an organization that is sending out to dentists about voting for your favorite podcast. I voted for my favorite podcast. I wonder if you can guess which one that was, but please vote for me. There's lots of them out there. I'd love to get some votes. That would make me feel good, stroke my ego a little bit, but I don't get anything for it, but that'd be nice. And uh, with that said, uh, this is Art Wiederman for the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA signing off. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A. 
W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.